Thank you, Nikki. It's a real pleasure to be here with you this morning. Thank you so much for the invitation. Um, it's not the first time, as Anne said. Uh, it's a delight to be here again. Um, and I just want to say, I'm looking forward to the big feast afterwards. Uh, <laughs> it's great to be part of a weekend of, of um, thinking together, working together, worshipping together, eating together. And we feel, at least I do, because I haven't checked this out with Anne yet, just as a result of seeing that little uh, vision film and hearing of what you're praying and planning to do, this is a really exciting time for the church. That this, this is truly to be a church without walls, where everybody is welcome and included, but also everybody's sent out. And that, to me, is the most exciting thing when the people of God understand we're on a mission together. We, we are to care for one another. We are to be the most incredible family, extended family, that anybody could ever be a part of. But we're actually a family on mission. And that mentality is not necessarily the mentality of every church. Many churches enjoy being together, but they don't understand we're called intentionally with a purpose to declare the wonders of him who's called us out of, his, out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the truth is, it's only as we have that bigger vision of mission to the lost world that we find fulfillment in our own lives. Um, just uh, in downstairs earlier in the prayer time, I had a picture which I didn't articulate then, but just I, I did articulate it to my wife before we had those, that thing about the wonderful, wonderful, simple illustration of gifts becoming actually something that you like rather than something you think, what's this for? Uh, great stuff. And the picture was of a jigsaw. And the, the truth is that you can't tell what the jigsaw really is until every part is put in place. And it's important that every part is in place. And there may be some people here who don't know what their place is yet. But the truth is you really do belong. And you are needed in order that the wonder and the full wonder of what God is doing here is revealed. And the gifts that you have are in addition to the gift who you are. Your being here is as important as you're doing here and from here. But you belong. And God has called you, and he's called you with a purpose. And the purpose is to join in with him and the family in mission. So I feel that we, uh, you know, in prayer beforehand, we felt with ourselves joining in a little bit. It's very exciting to see what God is doing here. And if the rest of this is rubbish, well, just enjoy the rest of what you've already enjoyed today. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> Our vicar was recently told he ought to read more books from people who've died. No, not books that they've written subsequent to their death, but books that they wrote before their death. In other words, there's much for us to learn from history. So some of you will recognize the words up on the screen as uh, the words of Charles Dickens. This is over 200 years ago, written in his book, A Tale of Two Cities. And it goes on. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch, epoch of belief. It was the ep epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Now, in many ways, I think what was written 200 years ago, descriptive of society in England at that time, is also equally descriptive of where we are in our world and in the UK today. There's so many good things, and there are so many absolutely, literally abominable things. 
And the two are intertwined. It's the worst of times and it's the best of times. And to get the bad news over first, I'll start with the worst and then we'll get on to the good news. So hold in there if you're beginning to get depressed as a result of what I say initially, because there's good news ahead of us. Uh, if we can move on to the next slide. There's war in Europe. And you know, there's already as many amputees in Ukraine as there were in Great Britain's military force in the whole of the Second World War. And that's 18 months in, with no visible sight in mind. Wars are escalating in numbers of the places around the world. And of course, in our fast media day, we only see them for a short period of time before another thing comes into view, which we focus on. And what we had previously focused on hasn't finished yet, it's continuing. If it's not war, it's nationalism. Nationalism is rife all across the world. Societies are getting more and more divided as a consequence of it. Friends in America, um, a college friend of mine who's married to American, lives in America, says he's never known America as divided as it is now. And that is the so-called leader of the free world. And the nationalism that's been expressed there is actually filtered out across most of Europe now in equally divided societies. If it's not nationalism, it's ecology. Uh, earthquakes, fam uh, floods recently hitting the news, bringing death to many, many people. Um, uh, the threat of global warming, now something that we're living with, but we apparently can't afford to do anything about, and maybe it will be too late by the time we think we can. And if it's not that, it's the financial distress that many people are living in, in our society, while at the same time, the relative gap between the wealthy in our society and those with nothing has increased and increased and increased over the last 50 years. So we live in a time of light and darkness, and the darkness, it seems to me, is increasing. And if you're in Birmingham at the moment and the county council have declared bankrupt, they have absolutely no idea what comes next. So the world is in crisis. The church is under severe persecution. There was a time when India was held up as an example of religious plurality, in the sense that Hinduism, a tolerant faith, uh, where it's possible to believe in any god, actually, more than tolerated, welcomed the influence of Christianity. In the last 20 years, or less than that, 15 years, that's changed enormously. In 2012, India was the 30th highest on the list of uh, countries where Christians are persecuted um, in 2012. Five years later, it had moved from 30th to 15th. Between 2016 and 2019, crimes against Christians were up by 60%. And in the first seven months of last year, 300 violent attacks against Christians um, happened. This year, I received in July a letter from somebody I know who has been associated with New Wine and oversees a number of churches in the southwest area of India, wrote this. The state of Manipur is burning now due to bad persecution of Christians. For the, in the last two months, approximately 150 Christian people were killed. Hundreds of Christian ladies were raped by Hindu radicals and forced to walk with naked bodies on streets. 0.2 million people had to leave their homes and escape to forests to save their lives. 400 churches fully burnt down. Christian schools, hospitals, and Bible training houses were burnt down. 50,000 Christian people were completely burnt down. So Christian homes were completely burnt down, and more than 150,000 million other homes 
150,000 other homes were partly burnt down. Local state government not taking any action against those Hindu radicals, and unauthorizedly local government were providing weapons to those radicals to kill people. In the meantime, in, the in England, the Church of England is in terminal decline. That's the one indicated there, with an annual uh, um, drop in membership or attendance, I'm not quite sure, uh, this is membership of uh, 3.5 nearly percent, and that means over five years it drops to about 16% about loss in five years, and that was before COVID hit. Now, praise God for a church like this one where there has been a restoration to pre-COVID levels. But many churches around the country, and I literally mean country as I say, that the countryside, actually they've dropped 20% since before COVID. So we are in terminal decline. And going back 2,000 years, uh, the text from Timothy 2 Timothy 3 has never seemed more appropriate. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And uh, we are on the edge of the Church of England collectively making a decision to change its understanding of marriage and human sexuality, which would contradict historical, biblical understanding of that, which is held by the majority of Christians around the world. And if we want to know the potential impact of that on the church thing's life, all we have to look, do is to look at the impact of it when on the church in America, when the Episcopal Church in America made the same decision something like 10 years ago when they made it formally. And in that time, the attendance in American Episcopal Church has dropped 40%. So, this is serious, friends. C.S. Lewis, uh, writing to, sorry, speaking at Westcott House, um, I've got to find the right quote here. To, uh, to, uh, speaking at C.S. Lewis in the middle of the last century, probably it was about the middle of the last century that he said this when he was, Westcott House is a training college for Anglican clergy. And be encouraged, lay people, but be dismayed about, your, about many church leaders in the Church of England. This is what he wrote. Once the layman was anxious to hide the fact that he believed so much less than the vicar. Now he tends to hide the fact that he believes so much more. <laughs> Missionary to the priests in one's own church is an embarrassing role. Though I have a horrid feeling that if such mission work is not soon undertaken, the future history of the Church of England is likely to be short. I think that's equally, if not more true today, than it was then, and I'm saying power to the people to speak the biblical voice, even to church leaders, where they've stopped listening to the Bible's voice. So, at a, at a meeting in London not long ago, uh, where the Bishop of London invited people who were having difficulty with this decision to meet with her. The venue had to be changed twice because, she was, because they didn't think there'd be so many people. Uh, I was present at it. There were a number of interesting contributions. And one significant contribution was that Balrog has been released. 
Lord of the Rings fans will remember this incident when the dwarves dug too deep out of their self-centered greed, wanting to scrape every bit of material from the mines. And they released a force which was beyond their ability to control. And um, another vicar in London said this to the Bishop of London, and I wasn't quite sure whether the look on the bishop's faces meant they'd never seen the film Lord of the Rings. They didn't understand the analogy, or they didn't believe the analogy. But of course it's true. We are in the midst of a spiritual war. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of the reasons why an attempt to keep things together in the Church of England through management speak of maintaining unity will fail is because it fails to recognize the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in. The only solution to the spiritual battle is to go to the only one that can win it. And he has one name. His name is Jesus. We've sung of his greatness just now. We need to acknowledge him in everything, go to him in everything, plead with him for everything, and expect him to work in our midst, even as some of us, I included, have never seen him work before. We'll talk more about beyond our asking and imagining tonight. That's your trailer. And if that's not enough, Anne will speak a bit then, not just me, so there's even better. Now, are you sitting comfortably? I hope you're not in a sense. How can we comfortable with the world at war like this? How can we be comfortable with Balrog released? How can we be comfortable unless we look to King Jesus? But that's what we're about to do. <laughs> so that's the end of the first part. The second part, the best of times. God is still on the move. What Jesus said 2,000 years ago is equally true then as now. My father is always at his work to this very day. He didn't stop and sit on the sidelines after creation. He did not stop and sit on the sidelines after the fall. He was constantly active in human history from the beginning, and he will be right to the end of time. Every single day, 24-7, God is still at his work. And his work is to reach a lost, broken, and hurting world and bring healing to it as only he can. God is still at work in his world today. And Jesus went on to say, and I am working with him. That is what the church, what you and I, are actually called by Jesus to do, to see what God is doing and join in. What an incredible privilege it is to be called fellow workers with God. I mean, that is work that is a light yoke to carry and an easy burden to carry. It's when we start trying to do work that God is not doing or to do work without any reference to him, that work is a heavy yoke. No wonder so many church leaders and churches are absolutely burnt out because they're not actually in step with the Spirit despite the injunction in Scripture, keep in step with the Spirit. God is not inactive. He's not impotent. He's always at work. Find out what he's doing and join in. 
Second thing, Jesus has promised. He has promised that he will build his church. So although there's all that bad news about what is happening, actually Jesus has promised, and guess what? Jesus keeps his promise. He even keeps the impossible promises. The I will be crucified, buried, and after three days I'll come back to life again. Impossible, but he kept his promise. I will rise to heaven and I will send power from on high and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He'd gone, they were praying, boom! It happened. He kept his promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. So when he is building his church, hell will be plundered, the lost will be saved, the sick will be healed, the oppressed will be set free, a community will be built. God is at work when we allow Jesus to build his church. Um, you know, the church is a church that we're part of. I'll come back to this. No, I'll, I'll set it up in, in a minute. Um, and that's even in the UK. So if we go to the next slide, although we see there is terminal decline in most of the historic denominations, the Lord is numerically and spiritually building a whole raft of new churches. All those ones in blue are churches that are growing around the country at the moment as a, as, as a grouping of churches together. They include, if you can't read that, the, um, I can't read it, the Elim Church, <laughs> the Elim Church, New Frontiers, the Free Independent Evangelical Church, the Redeemed Church of God, and the Vineyard Church. It is happening. Where Jesus is crowned the king of his church, the church is growing in numbers and influence. Interestingly, most of those churches, the leaders move to establish those churches. And people move with them. I know in the vineyard, I know in the um, FI, uh, sorry, the uh, uh, New Frontiers churches, I know in the Redeemed Church of God that literally groups of people seeing an unreached area, move into that area together, start seeking God for that area and serving in that place in a way that he, the Lord God, uh, shows them how to operate such that the lost are saved. So when you just spoke a moment or two ago, the couple who are going to do Cooper's Edge, you know, about when you spoke about moving, I actually think that is a word from the Lord. If we want to do stuff in the way that God is doing it all around the world, that actually is the way to do it. And just a word for this, all of these churches that are growing are more focused on mission than maintenance. If you're a historic denomination, you're more concerned about maintenance. If you are a new movement, you basically want to move. <laughs> so you're focused on mission. And in being focused on mission, actually God honors that because that was the last great command that Jesus gave his people. It wasn't us to stay as you are, a numeric group of 150 people and enjoy each other's company until you go to heaven together. It was go into every tribe and tongue and people and nation on earth. And that's an impossible task. But that was the command he gave them. They were focused on mission. And all of these churches speak about the message of Jesus very simply. And the message is, and I'm saying this for some of you who are relatively new here, and you may not, the penny may not have dropped yet. You can be born again. You can be born again. And this isn't an invitation to right-wing American politics. This is an invitation to you to start your life all over again. For whatever shape it has been, 
However much mess, however much difficulty, however much you think your life has been wasted or not worthwhile, Jesus said you can be born again, you can start all over anew. I can give you my spirit because it comes by being born again by the spirit and in being born again spiritually inside your present physical body, something will begin to change within you. You will have new hope, you will be cleansed, you will be forgiven, you will have purpose, you will have meaning, you will have a place in an extended family of God, the church, and you'll have a secure eternity. Friends, we can be born again and if you haven't yet been born again, this is my invitation to you this morning. Today's your day for the start of a whole new life and there's no better life than this and just like Nikki said earlier, it's the best decision she ever made to go on Alpha because that's where she was born again. That could be true for you and think who you might be speaking to in 40 years time about today, the day of days for you. I invite you at the end if you've not yet been born again to start your life all over again by inviting the Spirit of Jesus Christ to give you new life. So, uh, God is still on the move. Jesus has promised. What comes next? The Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has come, friends. The Holy Spirit has come, not just for the first generation of Christians, but for every generation subsequently. You know, some people look at this description of what happened at Pentecost as if it was, it, was, it was just for them. It was okay for them. It was great for them. It was just for the apostles and the apostolic age. But that's not what Peter said when he explained what was happening. What Peter said when he explained what was happening is this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, in other words, through all distant future generations, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, what had happened at Pentecost? Well, basically, they knew that God had called them for a purpose, but they knew they couldn't actually do that because they didn't have the power to do it. So Jesus said, go back and pray for the power to come upon you. So they went back and they prayed. In the first prayer meeting, they were all there. And that happened every day for 10 days. Anytime I've church, called the church to pray for 10 days, there may have been a big number on the first day, but ever thereafter, it was a diminishing number. Here, they were still all there praying. Why? Because they knew that unless they prayed, unless the Holy Spirit came, came, there was absolutely no chance of them getting the job done. So they prayed, and boom, the Holy Spirit came. And in that experience of being empowered, they had a, an incredible intimate encounter with God that led them to praise God in a way they'd never praised him before. They knew how great he was, how glorious he was, how powerful he was, and that what he'd said would happen would happen. And so they began even praising him in languages of the Spirit that he, the Spirit of God, gave them to pray rather than just in their learnt language. And that's a gift. That's an encounter. That is an empowering that Peter says here is intended for every person born again by the Spirit of God who's added to the church. And if you haven't yet had such an encounter that's released you in a prayer language and a praise of God and a sense of wonder before him, again, for you, this could be the day. Ask and you'll receive. If you don't ask, you won't receive. They asked for 10 days solidly before they got it. We have a severely disabled uh, five-year-old grandchild. She ha um, was born with an encephalus seal. She had to have a third of her brain, which had leaked out of her skull, 
cut off because it had died when she was born. The consequence of that is that she's still at this stage completely blind and her mobility and her ability to speak are severely impaired. And we spend quite a lot of time with her because she's nearby. We, we both do stuff with her and sings. I grunt. I, I mean, I don't sing very well. <laughs> Anne was singing a little song uh, to Oh Bella Baby, I Love You. Bella is her name. After singing it 39 times, Anne decided she'd change the words a little bit. It became Oh Mama Mama, I Love You. No. Oh Dada Dada, I Love You. No. Oh Holy Spirit, I Love You. More. And so Anne found herself singing, Oh, Holy Spirit, I love you. Bella now, every time she sees us, wants us to sing in tongues over her. So, Mama, la la la. Sorry, Nana, la la la. Bapa, la la la. What that means, please sing in tongues. We start singing aloud in tongues over her, and she's singing in tongues along with us. She cannot yet pray in English, but she loves singing in tongues. Great peace comes over her at that moment. We believe that she senses something of the presence and the greatness of God. Friends, this is a gift for all. <clears throat> we are also part of an international movement. We are not just the Church of England or just the Church in England. Have no doubt, friends, Jesus will build his church. The only question is whether the Church of England will be still, still be part of his church. <laughs> the church is growing all around the world. And one day we will be present in heaven with people from every tribe and tongue and language and people and nation on earth. We have such joy in North London living in a very cosmopolitan um, part of our, our, our country. Recently, we have had a number of Iranians join the church. So in our connect group, what do you call it here now? In your life group here. Um, we have a, a, an Iranian couple who, he was converted as a result of being given a photocopied edition, version of Matthew's Gospel. It's illegal to have a Bible. Um, and if you're found with a Bible, it's really uh, difficult in Iran. So um, he was given this photocopy and he started reading it, and he thought, what is this? Um, and then he found, every time he was reading it, great peace came upon him as he was into being introduced to Jesus. So then he, in the end, gave his life to Jesus. His wife, they're from a Muslim background, thought he'd gone absolutely mad. But she began to notice a change in him and thought, what is this? She didn't pick up the scriptures and start reading them, but what she did have was a vision of Jesus appearing to her one night. She gave her life to Jesus. They find themselves leading an alpha course. He's, he, they naturally, after a while, have to flee because they begin to experience the persecution that many of them have. But they are now part of our group in North London. It's so refreshing to hear them speak of a hunger for Scripture, God speaking, awakening faith in them through Scripture, and Jesus appearing to them in visions and dreams. This is what the story of the Acts of the Apostles is like, friends. This is God at work building an international church today. Forty years ago, there were 500 known um, Muslim background believers in Iran. There are now a million. 
That's pretty phenomenal growth rate, friends. Lord, do it here. We're part of an international movement. Let's keep moving. Okay, um, I've almost run out of time, and I've got 25 more points. Um, <laughs> the cr- a, the cri- a crisis always provokes prayer. Prayer provokes the presence or the intervention of God. In your life, when are the moments that you've prayed most? My guess is, is when life's difficult. This poor man cried to the Lord, and he heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. Is that true? Raise a hand if it's true. You pray most when you're in most difficulty. When you realize you're in great difficulty, you really pray. Nothing provokes prayer like difficulty. Let this crisis provoke prayer like we've never prayed before. All of those verses lift the different, list the different occasions only in the first half of the book of Acts about the times when the first disciples prayed all different types of circumstances whether it's because Jesus commanded them, whether it's because he said pray and the Holy Spirit will come, whether it's because they're looking for new leaders, whether it's because they're praying over leaders, whether it's because of persecution and they don't want to, uh, and they still want boldness even though it might invite further persecution, uh, whether it's for uh, uh, deliverance or whether it's for healing. The prayer, God, we cannot do this on our own. We need your power is the most significant thing that was happening in the early church and the most different thing that happened in the early church to what happens in most Western churches today. Let the crisis provoke us to pray. Oh, God, help. That's not a complicated prayer. Shall we rehearse it together? Oh, God, help. This poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him out of all his troubles. C.S. Lewis wrote, The pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Let it be his megaphone to raise prayer in his church as well. Let us recognize the crisis. Let us cry to him as never before and let him answer. Next, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I'm beginning to land, but I'm a bit like a jumbo. (laughs) The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, was strengthened, and increased in numbers. Anybody would like to be part of a church like that? (laughs) Fill in the blank. What was happening? I'm very grateful to Simon Ponsonby, who was doing the Bible teaching at the second week of New Wine this year, for landing on this text at the end of New Wine. I'd not seen these two things put together. You know, you read the Bible and you don't always notice everything. And I'd never really seen these two things together in this way. Anybody, anybody got a stab at it? It could be, but it's not. Fear of the Lord. Let's reveal. Living in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Those two things together are really extraordinary things to put together. In many churches, the idea of the encouragement of the Spirit is as a comforter coming to encourage and strengthen and help us. Correct, he is. The Lord Jesus says, he will help you. I will send you another helper. He will help you just like I've helped you. He will help you 24-7. The the idea of the Holy Spirit coming in other churches is around the release of the gifts of the Spirit and the courage and the boldness to share the gospel. Correct. It's all about that. But we've forgotten sometimes. He is the Holy Spirit. 
So he comes to burn up the dross within us. To put us back into a place where we live not with ourselves at the center, being lovers of self, but with God as the king at the center of our lives. And if the one that created the universe, the one that is altogether pure and holy, the one that is light of lights, king of kings, lord of lords, majestic, glorious, dwelling in utter beauty and glory, if we live our lives for him, what can we do but live in fear of him? Uh, put it another way. Um, how many of you would like to grow in knowledge of God? Keep, raise a hand. How many would like friendship with God? How many of you would like wisdom from God? How many of you like, would like to prolong your days? How many would you like to have confidence? How many of you would you like to be kept from sin? And how many of you would like to give, your, give a, a refuge to your children? All of those things come from the fear of the Lord. Now, this isn't a being terrified of future judgment fear, because in Christ we've already passed through that. But this is a fear of the Lord that says, you are God, and I must live my life in relation and response to your beauty and your holiness. Some of you a year ago m may have read a, a message or heard it from Pete Gregg where he reflected on the death of Queen Elizabeth II. And he referenced Isaiah 6 in the year that Queen Elizabeth died, in the year that King Uzziah died. What happened in the year that King Uzziah died? I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple, and I heard the seraphim and others singing, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. I've been praying over the last year that I would, in the year chronological that Queen Elizabeth died, I would see the Lord in a fresh way. Holy, 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 God of power and might. I, I was very interested at New Wine this year that there were a number of moments when the singing, instead of being driven by the band, was led by the people around simple songs of holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And I believe the Lord is calling us back to that place where we live in a right fear of the Lord. And people, individuals, or churches that don't do that will find that they're no longer in step with the Holy Spirit of God. Only if we do that will we find ourselves in a time of peace, being strengthened and increasing in numbers. But we will if we do. And in that place, of being in awe and fear of the Lord, we will find ourselves truly encouraged by the Holy Spirit. So these two words I leave you with, and I, <laughs> I, I had no idea that they have been or will be 
significant themes for you as a church as I prepared this this week. Be consecrated. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And be courageous. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, says the Lord to Joshua. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is what enables us, that promise of the encouragement of the presence of God which comes to us, we now know, which he didn't know at that stage, by the Holy Spirit. Be strong and courageous. I gather that you have been having a sermon series and teaching and thinking around being strong and courageous. I gather, am I allowed to reveal this? That you are going to be going into some thinking and teaching, talking around what it means to fear the Lord. Sunday, the passage is Isaiah 6. Is that right? Really? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. This is the Lord building his church, friends. And we thank him for it. And we give our lives to him afresh. That this might all be for him. The name, the fame, the glory, the victory of Jesus. That heaven will be not only populated, but fully populated with people out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, including the as yet unreached people groups in Cooper's Edge and around here and other places in the world to which God will send people from here. For Lord, we want to be a people constantly on mission for your glory, for your glory, for your glory. Why don't we stand? Now, as always in a service like this, There's been lots of words. (laughs) I don't know what your takeaway is, but your takeaway is your takeaway from the Lord. So just before the Lord, in this moment of quiet, think, what has the Lord impressed upon me today? So there's an individual takeaway as well as a corporate takeaway. Thank you, Jesus. You are the Lord. You are the Lord. We're bowing before you, Lord. And some of you will want to come and literally do that. Present yourselves as living sacrifices in order that you will be able to prove that the will of God is good and pleasing and perfect. And for some of you, 
you want to know, but you haven't yet discovered that God's will for your life is good. And it, you discover it's good as you offer yourself. You present yourself. So if you've not presented yourself and said to the Lord, I'm wholly yours, it's very difficult to discover you will not be able to prove that the Lord's will is good and pleasing and perfect. So the invitation is to some to come and simply consecrate themselves. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm offering myself, mind, body, spirit, all that I am to you. The Lord says he never turns away anyone who comes to him. It may be that there's some of you who are not yet born again and you're saying, I'd love to start my life all over again. Well, you can come as well and identify yourself to some of the prayer ministry team when they come to you to say, look, I just want to receive Jesus and his spirit to start my life all over again. There are some who didn't know, really, that the offer of the Holy Spirit and the same intimacy with God, liberation in their spirit, the use of the spiritual gifts, and the boldness in mission was for them rather than just the first church or other people in this church. It's for you, and if that's what you love, God says, I've been waiting for you to say that to me for a long time. Then, again, this is the moment for come and say, Lord, baptize me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Come, all is now ready, says the Lord. Some of you <coughs> relatively new to church won't be used to people coming forward at the end of a service like this because the first thing people do at the end of a service is to run for the back door. And, uh, you know, you may even have been doing that since you've arrived here, but... And it's not that the God is only at work at the front. But, you know, this is a bit like the crowd around Jesus. And sometimes you have to push to the front of the crowd, as it were. And it signifies faith. It is a step of faith, and it signifies faith. And Jesus loves it when people signify faith to him physically by stepping forward, even in a place like this. So... Step forward, friends. You may never have done it before. You won't be disappointed. Or you may have stepped forward many times. The Lord says, there is always more. Come. All is now ready. <clears throat> I see the Lord putting a wedding a ring on a finger. And I don't know whether that's um, God's blessing is here, especially for a couple that's just about to get married, or whether it's a sign actually of him saying to you, I'm to be your husband, you're to be my bride, and I delight in you. It might be both of those things today. Anne said to me before I came up here that she'd had a picture of Russian dolls. Russian dolls are those dolls which are one doll inside another. And it's like this is the day that the Lord is going to show you what's really inside of you. 
And that's going to be a good thing for you to discover who you really are, how he's created you, and what he has, gifts he's given you, and what he has for you. So if you want to be like a Russian doll, finding out what's inside, then this is the day for you. This is a holy moment. Jesus, we honor you, the head of your church. Where we have, as it were, placed somebody else in your place, we say sorry. We repent, we turn from that, we renounce the authority that we've given to others rather than you. And we say, Lord, be in authority as Lord over your church, over my life as an individual, over this church, over our Church of England, Lord, over the church in this land. We want you, Lord Jesus, to be the Lord. There's only one name under heaven by which men and women can be saved, and that is Jesus. And one day he will return. And he says when he returns, he will not bring new words with which to condemn us, but the words he's already spoken and our response to them will indicate what the future holds for us. So today is the day to say your yes to God's yes to you.